Friend, please help Spirit-Filled Hearts Ministry by supporting the cost to produce Spirit-Filled Radio and Podcast for this current fiscal year. You can become a partner with Spirit-Filled Hearts by donating monthly. Your contributions make a difference in the lives of all those who listen to our radio shows and podcasts. Thank you for your support. Go to spiritfilledhearts.org and click on the Donate button. That's spiritfilledhearts.org. Welcome back to the ninth I Thirst follow-up here with Father Jacob. Let's start with prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Jesus, help us to understand the beauties and the eternal truth of the creeds that you gave us. We ask all the apostles to help us and all the fathers of the church who helped really formulate these creeds. We ask all these these things in Christ's name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So today we're speaking about the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. Now, the Apostles' Creed, we usually say this one at the beginning of the rosaries. This is kind of the shorter creed. This is the one we kind of say um, that is shorter. The Nicene-Constantinople Creed, that's the full name of it. That's the longer creed that we use on Sunday. And so we're going to just talk about today the beauties of each of them and kind of the differences. Where did they come from? So basically the Apostles' Creed came from the Apostles. That's why it's called the Apostles' Creed. And from tradition, we have the 12 Apostles. And of course, Judas is the one who left. He was the traitor and he was replaced by St. Matthias. And so here, each of the 12 Apostles was given uh, this beautiful article of the faith by the Holy Spirit. And the 12 Apostles then had their article of faith. They joined together and then they formed the Apostles' Creed, which has 12 points in it, or 12 articles. And so again, we call the Apostles' Creed the Apostles' Creed because it comes from the Apostles who were inspired by the Holy Spirit, and then they all came together and made this beautiful creed for us. Now, a creed is also called a symbol of the faith, or the symbolon, if I pronounce the Greek correctly, the symbol of the faith. And here it's not like a symbol, like this is a symbol of this, but here what it really means is like a seal. It's something that is not just uh, like a little symbol, but it really is representative of who you are. It's kind of like a seal that marks you to be a Catholic. And so we see that the Apostles' Creed is our badge. It's our seal. It's our mark that really shows us to be Catholic. And so when we say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, just like we do when we start the rosary, I believe in God. And this is the act of faith. So the creed is an act of faith. And then of course, it's going to have all the acts. It's going to be an act of faith, hope, and charity, because we're going to, for example, say that there is going to be a judge that comes, who is our Lord. He's going to come to judge living in the dead. And then his 
kingdom was uh, had no end, right? This is the Nicene Creed, etc. And so we're going to hope for the coming of his kingdom. And then, of course, throughout the whole thing, we have to love God. And so here, the creed is really an act of faith first, right? And then, of course, hope and then love throughout. And so with the Apostles' Creed, we see that I believe in God, right? There's one God. And then we're going to say that there are the three divine persons, right? So there's one God, the Father Almighty, right? Creator of heaven and earth. And then we give an attribute of the Father. The first person of the Trinity is the Father, and he is the creator of heaven and earth. Here, we have to really understand this aspect where the Father Almighty, he is the creator of heaven and earth, and this is his attribute of being creator, even though all of the persons of the Trinity are the creator also. Here, this one is relegated to the Father, especially because it speaks of the Father's power and he is the one that is not generated and he is not breathed forth he is the one without any principle and so here the father as opposed to the Son and the Holy Spirit, he does not proceed from any person. And so he is called the unprincipled person, right? He does not have himself a principle. The Son, right, is generated from the Father, and then the Holy Spirit is generated from both the Father and the Son, but the Father is just the Father, right? He does not proceed from any other person. So he's called the unprincipled, right? Principle just means the beginning. So here, he is unprincipled, you know, in other words, he doesn't come from another divine person. He is just there. And so here, that is a source of power and authority. And so that's why creator is most applied to the father. And it, of course, can be applied to all the persons of the Trinity, but here it is attributed and it's going to be kind of the mark, you can say, of the Father because of his power as the one that does not proceed from any other divine person. There we go. And in Jesus Christ, right, his only Son, our Lord. And so here you see that the Son is the only Son of the Father. And so here we see that here the second person of the Trinity is the person who proceeds from the Father. And then, was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. And so we see the Annunciation, the Nativity of our Lord, and that he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. And this is the whole life of Jesus. And of course, he did this in order to save us from our sins. Then, we have this beautiful passage here, he descended into hell. Now, this is a very fascinating line that is not found in the Nicene Creed. Very, very fascinating to see this, where here, of course, Christ descends into hell. And really, we are meditating upon the fact that he goes into, not the hell of the damned, but he goes into the limbo of the just, which is the waiting place of all the just people in the Old Testament. And they're waiting there for Christ to come down and to break open the gates of hell so that now they can be raised up and then go into heaven. So Christ, by dying, then opens the gates of heaven for now everybody to come in. 
And so here, that's an amazing thing that we see in the Apostles' Creed that is actually not found in the Nicene Creed. And so then after that, on the third day, he rose again from the dead, the mystery of the resurrection. He ascended into heaven. This is the mystery of the ascension, where again, he is going to really show his power over everything, right? He is the ruler of everything. He ascends to his kingdom in heaven, where he now rules right now. And then he is seated at the right hand of God the Father. Father Almighty, and then from there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. So then after that, he's in heaven, he's going to come back, and then he will judge everybody. Everybody will know everything about everybody, and it's going to be a very eye-opening day for the glory of God alone, not for our glory. And so, here we see all of the mysteries of Christ's life. Basically, that he's going to be conceived, he's going to be born, he suffered and was buried, the resurrection, and then we're going to have his ascension, then his second coming, he's going to come again. That's everything about Christ in a nutshell. He's going to come back again. Then, we go to the third person of the Holy Trinity, who is the Holy Spirit, and then we list, um, of course, the other things that are going to come after the belief in the Trinity. So here we have, I believe, in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We have their various kind of descriptions, etc. And then afterwards, we have, I believe, in the Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Right? So that here, after the Trinity, then you have the Church, because here... The church was established by Christ, established by the Trinity. And then here after that, when you're talking about the beauty of the church and all of her mysteries, then you speak about the communion of saints, right? So here you see the communion of saints. You have the church triumphant, of course. This is where all the saints are. Then, of course, you have the church suffering, which is the holy souls in purgatory. And then the church who is here on earth, that is the church militant who are still fighting and really fighting to really save souls so that we can have more souls in heaven. And so after that, we have the forgiveness of sins and the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. Of course, everything ends with eternal life. We want eternal life. And so here, we see that forgiveness of sins is really emphasized in the Apostles' Creed. Again, when you think about the Apostles, for example, St. Peter, he was forgiven of his threefold denial of Christ. All the Apostles were basically forgiven uh, because they were not there. Only St. John was not there. But even St. John ran away in the garden. So that's why, you know, he felt bad because of that. Then he went to the foot of the cross. So really, all the Apostles abandoned Christ. But then St. John repented of that, then he went to the foot of the cross and was courageous and was there for Our Lady and supporting her. And so here you can really see that all the apostles, they really feel the sorrow and the contrition. And so here you can see like, okay, here, we're going to put forgiveness of sins here because this is important. We were forgiven of our sins by our Lord. And so here we're going to go forth and really preach that nothing can keep us from God, right? only ourselves, right? Even sin cannot keep us from God if we are sorry for it. And then after that, we see that if we are sorry for our sins, then we can really resurrect, right? Not only in our body, but also in our soul. So then you have the next one, the resurrection of the body, and then life everlasting when everything is finished. And so the Apostles' Creed is so beautiful. Again, if somebody ever says, I have no idea what to pray about, we have everything in the creed. And when you think about each line, Right, each article of the 12 articles 
of the Apostles' Creed. There's just so much to think about and so much to look up. And there's no excuse for us to say, like, I'm bored during prayer. I have no idea what to say. Because all you have to do is just look up communion of saints or look up forgiveness of sins. And there you have, you know, 15 hours or like 24 hours. If you really want to think about it, right, you have 24 hours worth of prayer right there. Or if you just say, he descended into hell, you have like 24 hours worth of beautiful prayer right there. Of course, you know, we can't pray for 24 hours. Maybe some people can, but at least we have, you know, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, hopefully an hour's worth of prayer just on one of those lines of the creed. So that's the beauty of the Apostles' Creed. And again, Our Lady wants that there uh, for us at the beginning of her amazing rosary. That's a beautiful way to start with faith, hope, and charity. And then we start with the meditations of Our Lady's prayers. And then we have the Nicene Creed. Now, the Nicene Creed is, again, it's helpful that they're named after what they are. And so the Apostles' Creed came from the Apostles. And then here, the Nicene Creed, it does come from the Apostles, it's true. But it's named after the Council of Nicaea. And if you really get the whole name of the creed. It's the Nicene Constantinople Creed because it's really the conglomeration of those two councils, the Council of Nicaea and the Council of Constantinople. So that's why it's called the Nicene Constantinople Creed. So it's an easy way to kind of remember that. And so here, with regards to the Nicene Creed, it's the same thing essentially as the Apostles' Creed. They're not too different creeds, right? They really say the same thing, but then the Nicene Creed says it in a clearer way and really uses philosophical language um, much more kind of precisely. And so this was needed because heresies started to pop up everywhere and we needed a clear formulation to just slam down the heretics, right? And so it's really important to really see that this creed then represents a beautiful movement forward and here the development of Christian doctrine. And again, it doesn't mean there's new stuff. Remember, when we spoke about this, when we say there's a development of Christian doctrine, it means that the formulation of the truths that Jesus gave us are now put in a clear philosophical language so that we can precisely pinpoint what our Lord means. So for example, there is that big old word in the Nicene Creed that we say every Sunday and people are like, what does this word mean? The word consubstantial, right? What in the world is that word, right? This is not found obviously in the Apostles' Creed, but this word consubstantial was super important in the Council of Nicaea. And this was in order to combat the heresy of Arius. Arius was a Catholic priest and a very proud brat, basically, and really, really bad because he was just, you know, just saying his own thing. He was saying that the son was less than the father. And he just like, uh, I think the word son in itself, how can you have a son that is greater than uh, the father? Obviously, it's not right. Or how can the son be equal to the father, right? The son is always somebody that comes from the father. And so they can't be equal, right? So then he goes around and spreads his craziness. And he says, the son is less than the father. And 
as soon as the saints heard this and the fathers of the church heard this, they immediately were repulsed. And we really have to see that this is a huge thing because it is denying the divinity of Jesus. God came down from heaven to us. He became a man, but he's still God. That's why we call him the God-man. And here, Arius, as well as the people who were deceived by him, just said, no, Jesus is not God. He's just kind of like um, a demigod, you know, he's just like half a god, you know. And here God is, he just became man for us, and he's fully God, he's fully man, and then here we're calling Jesus um, a demigod? It's just craziness, right? And so here, when the fathers of the church, especially St. Nicholas, right, he was really angry at this, and, you know, he was, you know, even getting into, you know, fist fights, you know, because of this, and, you know, he did not like Arius at all, you know, and so here we see that these are things that uh, were really fought upon, and rightly so, because this is an affront against Jesus. This is an affront against God. And so that's why the Nicene Constantinople Creed was so important in the formulation. So, for example, the word consubstantial, when we see this, we see that the expansion is, I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father, before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, right? That's a huge expansion. It's kind of just saying, Jesus is God. Jesus is God, right? Here in the Apostles' Creed, it's just, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And it kind of goes through the life of Jesus afterwards. But here in the Nicene Creed, it's just kind of like banging in, you know, Arius and just saying, you do not have the faith that came down from the Apostles because Jesus is true God that came from true God, right? The Son came from the Father. Both of them are true God, right? It's so important. Begotten, not made, right? So Jesus was not created. Creatures are less than the creator, right? But Jesus is not created. He's begotten, right? And this is that beautiful, mysterious word, because here indeed is a mystery, that Jesus describes that he came from the Father. He's not created by the Father, but he proceeded from the Father from all eternity, right? This is something we can't even begin to imagine what that means. And so here, we just know that Jesus told us, right? He said, I proceeded from the Father, right? And so here, this is the Trinitarian processions that happen before anything is created. It happens forever and ever. It's still happening now, right? It is a beautiful, it's a procession that is perfect and beautiful and without movement. We have to use just kind of a way of negation to say that it's not any kind of procession that we know, right? Uh, it is a purely spiritual procession that is eternal and it is what's happening in the Trinity. And so this is why, for example, again, the word begotten, not made, then it has this word consubstantial with the Father. Consubstantial means of the same substance. And substance is a philosophical word. And the philosophical word here is really seen by the fathers of the church really to pinpoint that the Father and the Son are one God, right? It's one God, and then two here, really three divine persons, but here we're talking about the Father and the Son, these two divine persons, they are God, right? Only one God, not two gods, but only one God. And here they 
are of the same substance. So God only has one substance. Now, this word substance is very tricky to understand, but here, if you think about what the word substance means, this is going to help a lot. So again, in philosophy, you always go from the meaning of the word itself and then dig deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. So substance, sub means under, stance is stand, okay? So substance is what is standing under. Right? So, for example, if you have a piece of bread, right, you have the white of the bread, you have the shape of the bread, the substance of the bread is what stands under or what unifies that, all of the white of the bread, all of the shape of the bread, right? And so here, the substance is what keeps that, uh, it's what that bread is, right? And it keeps the white and the shape and the texture, all of those things, it keeps it together. Something is underneath that color, right? So for example, if you see me, right, you see the color of my face, you see the shape of my face, right? But there's something underneath the color, right? There's something underneath all of that, right? It's the skin, the bones, etc. It's the full-on substance of me, right? So the substance of Father Jacob is what stands under all of my color, shape, the texture of my skin, etc. All of that, right? There's something underneath. And so... This word substance is then used, right, in order to describe God. So here, God is a substance, not a physical substance, but here he's a spiritual substance. And here, he, the mark of a substance is unity. So for example, I am one substance. A substance is one thing. It's unified. And so the word substance then is known now as here a unified spiritual thing. Right, And this is then applied to God because here God is one. And so he therefore is one substance. And so when we say that the Father and the Son are consubstantial, they are the same substance. They are both God. Right, And this is, again, the beauty of Trinitarian theology. And the preciseness of the words is really to show us that God is one, but he has uh, this one God in three persons. Okay, And so here, the word consubstantial is very, very important because here, with regards to the um, Arians as well as their followers, etc., they wanted to use the word not consubstantial, right? And the Greek word is homoousios, okay, or ousios, okay? So homo means the same, Usios means substance, okay? So the actual word, if you look at the creed in Greek, is going to be usios, meaning substance, what stands under, okay? And then here, with regards to the bad people, or the heretics, they want to use the word homoiousios, right? Of like substance, okay? And so here, this is when they want to say that the son is like the father, and here, this is not strong enough. Here, the Son and the Father are 
God. That's that's the truth, right? You don't say the Son is like the Father. The Son and the Father are one God. You know that's the full on subst. That's the full on you know truth that we believe, right? But the Arians and the Arians who are like kind of spinoffs of the Arians, etc. They were like, no, we don't want to say that because there's still some distinction, and we want to say the Son is a little bit lower than the Father because. You know the sun is coming from the father, and so we want to use the word homoi, right? So it's like H O M O I, homoi, like in substance, right? And then the saints basically say、mm, we shouldn't say like; we should say alike in every single way, right? Alike in every single way means basically consubstantial or of the same substance, right? And so here,、um, this was kind of the fights that were happening there, but very important fights. And so here. That was why the Nicene Creed took on this huge, you know, expansion in order to say Jesus is God, right? The Son is God. That's basically the whole point. He is of the same substance of as God, right? As the same substance as the Father. Then afterwards, we had the next step. People were saying, "Well, the Holy Spirit is not quite God again, because the Holy Spirit is coming from the Father," and so if That's the case. Then you know he has to be like less than the Father in some way because he's coming from the Father, and so now the Church has to slam that heresy, you know, into the ground and say, no, the Holy Spirit is God, right? That the Holy Spirit is totally equal to the Son. It's equal to the Father. They are one God. In three divine persons, and we worship the Holy Spirit. Right, this is a very important thing. The Holy Spirit we worship, and so here we really see that、um, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, and to be worshipped as God. And so, therefore, we see that、um, in the Nicene-Constantinople Creed, we say that I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord. Right, this is the word given to God. Right, the Lord, the Giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified. So here, the Holy Spirit is adored because He is God. Right, here we see that this is the worship given to God alone, and this we give to the Holy Spirit. Right, and so we see the divinity of the divine nature of the Holy Spirit. And this is again the expansion of the creed in very clear terms, right? We worship the Holy Spirit, right? That's part of the belief, and now it's in super, super, duper clear terms. And so here you really see、uh, the sweat and the blood that is poured forth into the formulation of these words, so that we can speak so clearly about our faith. This is something that we should really think about. That you know, we just don't use like blah 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 to describe Jesus, right? We use very precise words, right? He is begotten, not made. Every single word means something. It's not just like you know fluff. Here, our religion is not just. Fluff. It's made out of words that are given to us, revealed to us by God, and then that means something so concrete. And this is the beauty of the creeds: is they put it in such a beautiful order and so clearly that you know here children can say it, and you know adults can say it, and you. Entire faith is just laid out so perfectly and so beautifully, and this is why we say it every single Sunday. 
And so here, let's pray that we love the creed. And it's not just something that takes so long to say during Mass, right? But here, every single line of the creed is pure, dripping gold and honey, more than anything we can imagine. Every single line of the creed is just beyond diamonds and pearls and every single precious stone. We cannot imagine the worth of each of these eternal truths. If you're enjoying these podcasts, please consider supporting Spirit-Filled Hearts Ministry with a one-time or monthly gift. Spirit-Filled Hearts Ministry is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. We are only funded by generous donors who believe in our mission to evangelize.